Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping, returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull and Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull and Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code Ben at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull and Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code Ben. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. The big Democratic debate exposes the field's weaknesses. President Trump struggles with the fallout from Rudy Giuliani's incompetence and Trump parrots Erdogan on Syria. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today, like right now, at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Okay, well, we got a ton to get to today. We will get to the recap of the Democratic 2020 debate and the fallout therefrom. It appears that there is some roiling tension inside that Democratic field. People are not satisfied with the field they have. Honestly, if Hillary Clinton were to make her grand re-entrance, now would be about the time she should do it. Because the fact is, a lot of people are dissatisfied with Biden. A lot of people are dissatisfied with Warren. And Hillary is an enormous name. If she were to jump in right now, I think there's a pretty good shot she wins the nomination. Now, is she actually going to do that? Probably not. And that means the Democratic field is pretty extraordinarily weak. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. But we begin today with updates on Impeachment Gate 2019. So, according to the New York Times... President Trump's impeachment blockade has now crumbled as witnesses agree to talk. So the White House had said to the House that we are not providing witnesses to you, and witnesses are showing up anyway because they don't really need the White House's permission to show up as long as they're not testifying to anything that is privileged material. A week after President Trump's lawyer, Pat Cipollone, sent a letter to the House Democrats saying we're not cooperating, According to the New York Times, it has become clear that President Trump's attempts to stonewall the Democrat-led inquiry that has imperiled his presidency and ensnared much of his inner circle are crumbling. One by one, a parade of Trump administration career diplomats and senior officials has offered a cascade of revelations. That's an overstatement. We haven't really seen a lot in the way of revelations. We've seen a lot of perceptions by members of the Trump administration who are sort of career offices at the State Department. that, That is what we have seen. And it is not necessarily irrelevant, but it's certainly not dispositive, right? This is not material where you you have a bunch of people from the State Department having inside information. It's mostly those people saying, I was cut out of the process, and I'm really pissed about that, and I wish I hadn't been cut out of the process, and this shows that Trump is corrupt. Well, it could just show that President Trump doesn't trust you, doesn't trust the State Department, and runs a very, very closed ship with people that he does trust, which, by the way, is 100% true. I mean, that is what Trump has been doing since day one to the chagrin of many in the media and to the chagrin of many who are sort of professional politicos. President Trump has surrounded himself with family members, with immediate friends, and this has not worked out well for him, see Michael Cohen in some ways, but in other ways, it has at least kept the circle small. I mean, it's been an incredibly weak administration. There are a lot of people in the administration who have been serving from before this administration who don't like Trump, and that's been perfectly obvious from the leaks. It's been perfectly obvious from the text messages that we have seen from members of the Trump intelligence community texting each other. I'm speaking here specifically of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. 
Trump, in other, in other words, has some fairly decent reasons to be pretty suspicious of the people who were in government before he was. And so him cutting State Department officials out of the loop isn't necessarily proof of corruption. It could just be proof that Trump doesn't trust any of these people. Now, again, my going theory on virtually everything political is that you must attribute to stupidity more than you attribute to malice. That you only attribute something to malice when you can't attribute it to stupidity. And when it comes to President Trump's dealings with Ukraine, that one looks a lot more to me. Yeah, could be wrong. We'll see what the evidence says. It looks more to me like President Trump fumbling around in Ukraine based on bad information fed to him by Rudy Giuliani than it does like President Trump specifically attempting to leverage Ukraine into quote-unquote getting Joe Biden. In any case, according to the New York Times, these accounts from various career diplomats and senior officials have corroborated and expanded upon key aspects of the whistleblower complaint that spawned the impeachment inquiry into whether the president abused his power to enlist Ukraine to help him in the 2020 presidential election. The latest disclosures came on Wednesday when a former top aide to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo offered an inside account of what he said was a demoralized State Department where career diplomats were sidelined and others apparently were pressed to use their posts to advance domestic political objectives. In six hours of voluntary testimony, the former aide Michael McKinley told impeachment investigators that he quit his post as Mr. Pompeo's senior advisor amid mounting frustrations over the Trump administration's treatment of diplomats and its failure to support them in the face of the impeachment inquiry, according to a copy of his opening remarks. Now, again, people frustrated at the State Department, that's sort of the byword of virtually every Republican administration. It's worse under this administration, but sometimes that is fully justified. I mean, I know, for example, the State Department, I'm over here in Israel, the State Department was supremely unhappy with President Trump's decision to move the embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to the capital, the eternal capital of Israel, Jerusalem. And tough, and tough, he was right. The State Department was wrong. And there have been a variety of circumstances where the State Department advised something, Trump overruled them. Sometimes he's right and sometimes he's wrong, but that's his prerogative. He's president of the United States. And if, you're, if your morale is low because you don't like the president, well, suck it up, buttercup. I mean, the fact is you work for a permanent branch of government and you've been working there for a long time. Now, again, this does not mean that Trump did not do anything corrupt. Maybe these people are demoralized because they think Trump is corrupt. Again, that's their prerogative, but that's not proof he's corrupt. In any case, Democrats on Thursday are set to hear from Gordon Sundland, the U.S. ambassador to the European Union, a central figure in the president's pressure campaign on Ukraine. He is expected to testify that he learned that Mr. Trump did not invite, did not intend to invite President Zelensky of Ukraine to a meeting in the Oval Office until Zelensky pledged to open an investigation that could benefit Trump's political fortunes, bolstering a central allegation in the inquiry that the president steered foreign policy for political gain. Now, remember, this has morphed a little bit. Originally, it was that he was withholding military aid in order to pressure Ukraine. Now they're making the claim that he was withholding a meeting with Zelensky in order to pressure Ukraine to go get Biden. It is unclear whether he wanted to quote-unquote target corruption in Ukraine, and he misperceived that as including Biden, or whether he specifically meant to get Biden. And that last question is the one that only Rudy Giuliani basically can answer, which is why Rudy's going to be dragged up before a House committee. Democratic lawmakers, according to the New York Times, have directed William Taylor, one of the top American diplomats in Ukraine, to appear before their committees next Tuesday, according to an official familiar with the investigation. Text messages produced as part of the inquiry suggest that Taylor was deeply uneasy about what he saw as an effort by Trump aides to use a $391 million package of security assistance as leverage over Ukraine for political favors, calling the notion crazy. Well, of course they want to call him. If you read his text messages, he's parroting basically everything that Democrats are suggesting happened over in Ukraine. 
The White House has successfully blocked a lot of the documents tied to the case, but the president and his lawyers had hoped to use the power of his office to muzzle current and former diplomats and White House aides, arguing in presidential tweets and a lengthy letter to Democratic lawmakers on October 8th that their subpoenas are invalid and unenforceable. Pat Cipollone, of course, as I mentioned, wrote, President Trump cannot permit his administration to participate in this partisan inquiry under these circumstances, but a bunch of officials have testified for apparently something like 36 total hours. So does that mean that they actually have the goods on Trump? No, not at all. Not at all. It does not mean that by any stretch of the imagination yet. But this is prompting Republicans to try and figure out their own counter strategy. That counter strategy involves what is an incredibly dumb idea, apparently, by Lindsey Graham. We'll get to that in just one second. First, this talk of impeachment in Washington, trade wars with China, the Fed cutting the interest rate. The perfect storm is brewing for a rally in gold. That is for sure. Uncertainty and chaos breed a rush to gold. And right now would be the time. If this house of cards, our economy is built on collapse today, are you protected? Are your savings protected? Because the fact is that inflation can run roughshod over your savings, that uncertainty can run roughshod over your stocks. Okay, what is your plan? I've been telling you about the Precious Metals IRA with Birch Gold Group for years at this point. They are part of my family plan, Birch Gold. See if they should be part of your family's plan. I'm not talking all, take all your money and stuff it in a mattress filled with gold or something like that. I'm saying you should diversify into precious metals at least a little bit and make sure that you're protected against the vicissitudes of the market. Birch Gold will go to work and make things super simple for you. It's not a complicated process. They'll have a conversation with you. You can determine if precious metals make sense for you. Ask all of your questions, get all of your answers. There's no obligation. You have nothing to lose to take that first step. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Text Ben to 474747 today to see how simple and straightforward the move can be for you. Again, that's Ben to 474747. Okay, so Lindsey Graham is responding to all of this with what I think is a really foolish idea. Apparently, he has a plan to send a letter to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi warning that the Senate Republican Caucus will not remove President Trump from office. This is just foolhardy in the extreme. So the letter, according to Graham's description, would warn Pelosi that Senate Republicans will not vote to remove President Trump from office because of a phone call where he asked the Ukrainian government to look into former Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden. The reason this is a stupid, stupid idea by Lindsey Graham is twofold. One, how many Republicans are actually going to sign it? If it's not all the Republicans, then Trump looks weak. It looks like there are a bunch of Republicans who are wavering on impeachment, when in reality, they're just waiting for more information which is what all rational people should be doing at this point. Right? The fact is that we don't know what happened with regard to Ukraine. You don't know. I don't know. Only Trump and Giuliani know. Well, that means that if you're a Republican senator, the last thing you want to do is say, I am stalwartly against impeachment. And then five seconds later, Rudy Giuliani gets up there and he says, yeah, let's running around Ukraine. Sure, sure. And like, oh, oh, God. And like, the last thing you want to do as a Republican senator is put yourself out there before all the evidence is out because you don't know where this thing is going. Now, you can express publicly that the evidence on the table does not justify impeachment. And that is true. The evidence on the table does not justify impeachment. But to forecast in a letter that you are never going to support impeachment, no matter what the circumstance, would be a foolish move. And to sign to not sign the letter would also be a foolish political move because then it looks as though you're not supporting the president in the face of a partisan-driven impeachment inquiry. So Graham, like, what is the point of this? This is it, it's a very foolish move. Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana told The Hill he'd sign the letter if it is as described, but he warned it could be a distraction. He said, I'll sign the letter. That doesn't mean I think it's necessarily a good idea. We don't need distractions right now. Kennedy acknowledged there's a risk that if the letter doesn't get enough signatures, that puts the GOP in a tough spot. He says the fact that some senators may not sign the letter doesn't indicate they don't support the president. They just want to hear more, and I don't think that's fair to them. 
I worry Americans will look at it and some less enlightened members of the press will look at it and say, okay, this is what the vote will be among the Republicans. That is exactly right. That is exactly right. So Graham, uh, look, my, my guess is probably that Graham is doing this at Trump's behest. That probably Trump called up Graham and said to him, I want a letter. And Graham, because he's trying to do his best to defend the president and has been sycophantic toward President Trump, to say the least, my guess is that Lindsey Graham was like, okay, I can do that. And then he just went ahead and did it. But the fact is, it is a very, very bad idea. Another GOP senator said he's trying to help, but it's going to backfire. If there aren't enough signatures, the president is going to look really weak. And that, of course, is true. Now, in other impeachment developments, the House Oversight Committee is now asking a federal appeals court to expedite the enforcement of a subpoena for President Trump's financial records. So if you thought that this whole thing seems as like, like it's just a fishing expedition, at this point a deep-sea fishing expedition, that's right. Originally, we were told that this impeachment inquiry was going to be focused, laser-focused, right, honing in directly on the Ukraine stuff. And now we have the House Oversight Committee who is delving into President Trump's tax returns, which... Last I checked, those returns precede his term in office, the ones that they are really looking for. So not sure what exactly they think they're going to find there that the IRS hasn't already seen. The motion comes just days after the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit upheld the Oversight Committee subpoena of the financial firm Mazars in a sweeping victory for the House Democrats. The subpoena was issued earlier this year prior to the launch of the impeachment inquiry. A three-judge panel on the circuit court ruled Friday that Mazars would have to turn over eight years' worth of Trump's financial records to the House committee. Trump's lawyers said this is a fishing expedition. We shouldn't have to turn it over. Now they have appealed this to the full court on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. This probably, probably ends up at the Supreme Court level, where we find out whether the House does, in fact, have plenary power over subpoenaing any documents it could possibly want, including confidential, proprietary business information, without any evidence of underlying criminal activity. You know, as I say, a lot of this is going to come down to Rudy Giuliani. And according to CNN, investigators are now looking into Rudy Giuliani in a counterintelligence probe. Now, this should make all of us a little suspicious. It should make us wince a little bit. Why? Well, because the Trump-Russia investigation was launched under counterintelligence auspices. Eventually, it turned into a criminal investigation of President Trump and his team. But it was launched under counterintelligence auspices, meaning that it was designed to look into whether the Russian government was interfering with the U.S. elections. And then it quickly turned into Trump obstruction, stuff that had nothing to do with Russia per se. Well, now you have a counterintelligence investigation that has been opened into Rudy Giuliani. This is going to lead President Trump to believe more and more that the quote unquote deep state is out to get him and his team because Rudy Giuliani is his personal lawyer. We'll get to more of that in just one second. First, an unfun fact. Over half of bankruptcies and mortgage foreclosures are caused by medical issues. That's because if you get sick or injured over the course of your career, your employer's sick leave may often only cover for you up to maybe three months and loss of income is really connected, obviously, to medical problems. Well, health insurance helps with medical bills. It does not replace that lost income. And that's where disability insurance comes in. It's essentially insurance for your income. It protects your paycheck if you're sidelined by an illness or an injury. And Policy Genius, which is your one-stop shop for insurance, is your best way to get this. Policy Genius does all the shopping for you. They compare quotes from the top disability insurance companies to find the best price. Then their licensed experts manage the application process to save you time and hassle. And Policy Genius doesn't just make disability insurance easy. They can also help you find the right life insurance and home and auto insurance too. So if you rely on your income to get by, head on over to policygenius.com to compare disability insurance quotes today. They'll help you protect your paycheck at a price that makes sense. Policy Genius, it's the easy way to compare 
compare and buy disability insurance. Go check them out right now over at PolicyGenius.com, your one-stop shop for insurance. Okay, so according to CNN, for months, investigators looking into Rudy Giuliani's business dealings in Ukraine have dug into everything from possible financial entanglements with alleged corrupt Ukrainian figures to counterintelligence concerns raised by some of those business ties, according to people briefed on the matter. The counterintelligence part of the investigation indicates that FBI and criminal prosecutors in Manhattan are looking at a broader set of issues related to Giuliani, President Trump's personal attorney, than has been previously reported. Kenneth McCallion, a New York attorney, says that investigators first approached him earlier this year to ask about Giuliani's ties to Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, two Giuliani associates indicted last week on campaign finance-related charges. These guys were apparently some of the people who were feeding Giuliani information on corruption in Ukraine. McCallion says that FBI counterintelligence agents in February or March asked questions about some of Giuliani's Ukrainian business dealings. The counterintelligence probe hinges in part on whether a foreign influence operation was trying to take advantage of Giuliani's business ties in Ukraine and with, with, with wealthy foreigners to make inroads with the White House, according to one person briefed on the matter. McCallion says, I was just asked whether I or any of my clients knew of any dealings these two guys had with Giuliani. They were on the radar with regard to possible counterintelligence issues. Some of the FBI agents and prosecutors handling the case come from the same public corruption unit that targeted Michael Cohen. So from the frying pan to the fire with the personal lawyering for President Trump, the investigators in the Southern District of New York appear to have largely operated separately from what Trump appointees at the Justice Department headquarters in D.C. have pursued in recent months. The investigation dates back far longer than what's previously been reported because Giuliani has longstanding relationships in Ukraine. And Ukraine, of course, is the Wild West when it comes to Everybody in American politics getting, apparently there's a lot of money to be made if you sort of pad the right pockets and all the rest of this. Justice Department officials said last month that criminal division prosecutors in Washington had examined Trump's July call with the Ukrainian president only for that narrow issue of potential campaign finance violations and determined this was not a campaign finance violation, but the issue was far from close. Meanwhile, federal prosecutors in New York are aggressively pursuing broader issues related to Ukraine matters. And, of course, they are now prosecuting four Giuliani associates. So Giuliani may be entangled in all of this. Apparently, former Texas Republican Representative Pete Sessions has been issued a subpoena by prosecutors. Sessions wrote a letter to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to raise concerns about the then-U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, who was later removed by President Trump following complaints by Giuliani and others. So one of the questions here is whether Giuliani and Sessions were being paid by these Ukrainian guys at the same time they were pushing Trump to remove Marie Ivanovich, who was the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. So now it's possible this starts to look less like Trump corruptly going after Joe Biden and more like Rudy Giuliani corruptly, maybe, corruptly, feeding Trump bad information, or at the very least being bamboozled while being paid at the same time to feed Trump bad information that he was then using to impact policy in Ukraine. John Bolton saw a lot of this coming, apparently. Just a few days ago, the New York Times reported that John Bolton got into a tense exchange on July 10th with Gordon Sundland, the Trump donor-turned-ambassador to the EU, who was working with Giuliani to press Ukraine to investigate Democrats, according to three people who heard the testimony. Bolton's aide, Fiona Hill, testified that Bolton told her to notify the chief lawyer for the National Security Council about a rogue effort by Sunderland Giuliani and Mick Mulvaney, the acting White House chief of staff, according to people familiar with the testimony. Bolton, the Yale-trained lawyer, apparently told Hill to tell White House lawyers, quote, I'm not part of whatever drug deal Sunderland and Mulvaney are cooking up, which always sounds great. It was not the first time that Bolton had expressed grave concerns to Hill about the campaign being run by Giuliani. Giuliani's a hand grenade who's going to blow everybody up. Hill quoted Bolton as saying during an earlier conversation. 
So again, as I've been saying literally for weeks at this point, this whole thing is going to come down to Rudy Giuliani. Meanwhile, Gordon Sunland is set to testify. And people believe that Sunland was basically Trump's lackey in Europe. According to a former top White House foreign policy advisor, he told House impeachment investigators this week she viewed Gordon Sunland as totally unprepared for his job. That would be Fiona Hill, the same aide that we were talking about with regard to John Bolton. She described Sunland, a hotelier and Trump donor turned ambassador, as metaphorically driving in an unfamiliar place with no guardrails and no GPS, according to people who are not authorized to publicly discuss that deposition that took place behind closed doors. Sunland is set to testify this week, and we'll find out exactly what he has to say. One of the things he is expected to talk about is the text exchange that he had with Bill Taylor, another, another official over in Ukraine, a, an acting ambassador to Ukraine, who was asking Sunland, like, this looks like a quid pro quo, and Sunland tweeted back, texted back to him, this isn't a quid pro quo. He's expected to say, Trump told me to say that, that it wasn't a quid pro quo, that it wasn't his own independent opinion, it wasn't a quid pro quo. Trump told me it's not a quid pro quo, and I'm telling you, it's not a quid pro quo. So none of this is really wonderful looking for President Trump. John Bolton is likely to be subpoenaed. Again, it's going to come down to Giuliani, right? John Bolton is increasingly likely to show up for testimony, but what's he going to say that is, that is new? What's he going to say that we don't already know from these press reports? The answer is probably not much. It's all going to come down to what Giuliani has to say. And the fact is that Trump appears to have been fed bad information by a variety of sources, including Giuliani. For example, yesterday, in the middle of a press conference, President Trump went off on the so-called DNC servers in Ukraine. I still ask the FBI, where is the server? How come the FBI never got the server from the DNC? Where is the server? I want to see the server. Let's see what's on the server. So the server, they say, is held by a company whose primary ownership individual is from Ukraine. I'd like to see the server. I think it's very important for this country to see the server. Okay, so the reason that he wants to see the server, supposedly, is because there is this theory that's going through the CrowdStrike, which was the firm that was brought in to analyze the hack on the DNC servers, actually was covering for the fact it was a Ukrainian hack, not a Russian hack. Trump wants to believe that because obviously he doesn't like the idea that Russian interference in the election shaped his election in any way. But there is not good information that the DNC servers are in Ukraine or really have anything to do with Ukraine. They were analyzed by CrowdStrike. It is not unusual for servers to be analyzed by a third party that is not, in fact, the government. We talked about this on the show a while back. So, again, you know, it, the I think most realistic possibility with regard to what we know so far is that President Trump was misinformed by people who should know better, but President Trump himself didn't necessarily know better. And that is why President Trump was acting in a way that he thought that there would be information behind these various rocks and there was no information behind the various rocks. And so there's an appearance of corruption without actual corruption. Why? Well, because of basically being fed bad information, incompetence and, and failures of knowledge. Okay. Meanwhile, the president's Syrian policy is just a mess, unfortunately. The president's Syrian policy has continued to unveil in disastrous fashion. There's video being released yesterday by Russia Today of Russian troops that were overrunning a U.S. base. I mean, it looks like the fall of Saigon. It's really, it's really ridiculous. President Trump is trying to defend himself. Also, there is, there's more bad material being released for Trump, at least material that makes Trump look bad with regard to Syria. And 
I have to read this letter. So here's so President Trump had this conversation with Recep Tayyip Erdogan via phone. The conversation via phone, which happened just about a week ago. Now, that conversation via phone basically had Erdogan saying to him, I wish you would pull out of this area so we can attack the Kurds because the, Tur- the Kurds are a bunch of terrorists. And Trump's saying, okay. And then he pulls out and then the Turks attack. And then Trump is like, well, I wish they hadn't done that. And now we're going to try and do sanctions. Okay, this policy was so bad that the House voted yesterday to rebuke President Trump over his decision to withdraw those troops from northern Syria. The measure passed 354 to 60. To 60. All 60 votes against the resolution came from Republicans, but the majority of the Republican caucus actually voted in favor of the motion, including the top three House Republicans. The resolution was sponsored by the House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Elliot Engel and the panel's top Republican Representative Michael McCall of Texas and opposes the decision to end certain U.S. efforts to prevent Turkish military operations against Syrian Kurdish forces in northeast Syria. As we were reporting yesterday, the fact is that the Kurds are now joining forces with Bashar Assad in order to avoid annihilation at the hands of the Turks. Meanwhile, ISIS fighters are being freed because there is no one there to watch them because no one frankly cares about the ISIS fighters except for the United States. It is a disaster area. Now, all of this, all of this, this this entire phone call was apparently presaged by a letter that President Trump sent to Erdogan on October 9th, about a week before this phone call. And I I have to read you this letter because, I mean, if you love Trump, this is what makes you love Trump. If you are lukewarm on Trump, then a lot of cringing in this letter. So here it is. Dear Mr. President, this is from Trump to Erdogan. Let's work out a good deal, exclamation point. You don't want to be responsible for slaughtering thousands of people, and I don't want to be responsible for for destroying the Turkish economy. And I will. I've already given you a little sample with respect to Pastor Brunson. I have worked hard to solve some of your problems. Don't let the world down. You can make a great deal. General Maslam is willing to negotiate with you, and he is willing to make concessions that they would never have made in the past. I am confidentially enclosing a copy of his letter to me, just received. History will look upon you favorably if you get, the, if you get this done the right and humane way. It will look upon you forever as the devil if good things don't happen. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. I will call you later. Sincerely, Donald Trump. That's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. What? No, what? Now, presumably, Trump released this. Le- he, he sent it to Trish Regan. So presumably, he sent this, this letter to Trish Regan because he thought it made him look good. It made him look tough on Erdogan, except that he issued all of these empty bloviating threats, and then he immediately pulled out, and Erdogan just ran right over the guards. I mean, that is, uh, let's work out a good deal. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. I will call you later. What? I, I got nothing. Also, why is he forwarding letters from people that they don't want forwarded? Like, he's literally taking a letter from the Kurds, and he is forwarding it to the Turks without the permission of the Kurds, presumably. That's not a good look. Well, all of this resulted in a blow-up at the White House yesterday because the, because the Democrats showed up at the White House, and they had this meeting they accused Trump of a meltdown. Trump accused them of a meltdown. So we have dueling meltdown. We have dueling meltdown statements here. Democratic congressional leaders, according to CNBC.com, said they walked out of a White House meeting Wednesday on Syria after what House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called a meltdown. After top Democrats left the bipartisan meeting with Trump, Pelosi told reporters the president appeared shaken up by a House vote condemning his decision to remove U.S. forces from northern Syria. That's why we couldn't continue in the meeting, because he was just not relating to the reality of it, Pelosi said outside the White House. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer described the meeting as more of a nasty diatribe than a dialogue. He said that Trump called Pelosi a third-rate politician. 
Though Pelosi later clarified the president used the term third grade politician. House Majority, <laughs> House Majority Leader <laughs> Democrat of Maryland, added he had never seen a president treat so disrespectfully a co-equal branch of government. Well, I mean, Barack Obama used to do that pretty routinely, but not, not like calling people third grade politicians or third grade politicians or any of that. Barack Obama just used to basically call his political opponents Tea Party terrorists. In any case, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, a Republican who voted for the House measure to oppose pulling out of northern Syria, told reporters that Pelosi stormed out of the meeting. He called her behavior unbecoming and argued that Pelosi tried to make the gathering unproductive. The White House declined to comment on Trump's third-rate politician comment. The vote earlier Wednesday added to the pressure on President Trump. During the meeting on Wednesday, Schumer brought up former Defense Secretary James Mattis' recent comment that the ISIS that ISIS will resurge in Syria. Trump then called the former U.S. Marine Corps general, quote, the world's most overrated general, saying he wasn't tough enough, according to NBC. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that James Mattis doesn't have to prove his bona fides in the toughness category. Schumer urged the Senate to take up the resolution as well. President Trump also then, then tweeted out about the Democrats. So he tweeted a picture of Nancy Pelosi standing there and lecturing him. And he tweeted out, Nervous Nancy's unhinged meltdown. And then he tweeted another picture of, of Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Steiny Hoyer all looking shell-shocked. And he tweeted out, Do you think they like me? I Means just top-notch trollery by the president of the United States. He also called Nancy Pelosi sick after all of this. He said, Nancy Pelosi needs help fast. There's either something wrong with her upstairs... Or she just plain doesn't like our great country. She had a total meltdown at the White House today. It was very sad to watch. Pray for her. She's a very sick person. I don't believe that President Trump is going to pray for Nancy Pelosi. I'm just going to put that out there. I don't actually think that President Trump is, is going to get on his knees and pray to God for the health of Nancy Pelosi tonight. Pray for her. She's a very sick person. Okay, so everything is going great, guys. Everything is going spectacularly. President Trump had some comments about Turkey as well. He said yesterday in a press conference that the invasion of northern Syria by the Turks has nothing to do with us. Here is President Trump commenting on all of this. Our soldiers are not in harm's way, as they shouldn't be, as two countries fight over land. That has nothing to do with us. And uh, the Kurds are much safer right now, but the Kurds know how to fight. And as I said, they're not angels. They're not angels. If you take a look, you have to go back and take a look. But they fought with us. Uh, we paid a lot of money for them to fight with us, and that's okay. Uh, they did well when they fought with us. They didn't do so well when they didn't fight with us. Yes, that is the point, that if we left our soldiers there, they wouldn't be getting slaughtered. And then, then Trump came out and he said that the PKK, which is a, a communistic Kurdish terror group that is on Turkey's border, is worse than ISIS. Now, they may be bad. They are not, in fact, worse than ISIS. That is, that is simply not true. Here is Trump. What does that have to do with the United States of America? If they're fighting over Syria's land, are we supposed to fight a NATO member in order that Syria, who is not our friend, keeps their land? I don't think so. But Syria does have a relationship with the Kurds. The thing that's common is that everybody hates ISIS. Now, the PKK, which is a part of the Kurds, as you know, is uh, probably uh, worse at terror and more of a terrorist threat in many ways than ISIS. So it's a very uh, semi-complicated, not too complicated if you're smart, but it's a semi-complicated problem. <laughs> you got to love the parentheticals. It's a semi-complicated, not too complicated if you're smart, but like, like me. But OK, these are these are talking points. These are talking points from air to one. 
It is that simple. Lindsey Graham makes that clear. These talking points about the PKK, we got nothing to do here. The Kurds should be grateful to us that we were ever involved with them. It's bad foreign policy. Again, a majority of the Republican caucus in the House just voted to condemn Trump over it. Lindsey Graham put out a statement talking about President Trump's Syria remarks. He said, I worry we will not have allies in the future against radical Islam. ISIS will reemerge and Iran's rise in Syria will become a nightmare for Israel. I fear this is a complete and utter national security disaster in the making, and I hope President Trump will adjust his thinking. Well, this, of course, prompted President Trump to then fire on Lindsey Graham, and he told Lindsey Graham to stick to judges. It's just, it's a bad policy decision. It's a bad move by President Trump. And now he's doubling down on it, which is a, an even worse move. Okay, well, all of, uh, all of this would be bad news for Trump, except for the fact that the Democratic field is a complete mess. Okay, the Democratic field com- continues to be a complete mess. And President Trump has some systemic advantages, which we'll discuss in just a second, coming up to 2020. But first, let's talk about your sleep quality. So I'm on the road. That means I am not sleeping all that well. One of the reasons I'm not sleeping all that well, I don't have my Helix Sleep mattress. It was personalized for me, customized for me, and it's back in the United States while I'm in Israel. So I missed that mattress. Helix Sleep has a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete. It matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. No matter how you sleep, on your side, on your back, hot sleeper, whatever, Helix can make what your body needs. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. For couples, Helix can even split that mattress down the middle, providing individual support needs and feel preferences for each side. They've got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. It's risk-free and, I mean, like, what are you waiting for? Helix is offering up to 125 bucks off all mattress orders just for our listeners. Get up to 125 bucks off right now at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben for up to $125 off your mattress order. Helixsleep.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now, again, they make the world's most comfortable mattresses, so comfortable that I actually got one for my sister for her wedding and made a great wedding present. It is a fantastic, fantastic mattress. It doesn't get better than personalized for you. You have customized everything in your life. Why wouldn't you have customized the thing that you sleep on for seven to nine hours a night? Wouldn't that make some sense for you? Go check them out right now, helixsleep.com slash Ben. Okay, in just a second, we'll get to the 2020 Democratic side of the aisle. But first, go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. Nine ninety nine a month, 99 bucks a year. You know the pitch. Plus, The Daily Wire's long-awaited app is finally here. It is first-rate. If you are a subscriber, you can access all of our content, including articles, shows, and more, straight from the app. All Access subscribers get our new and exclusive discussion features where they can interact directly with us. I did one of these last night, Israel time. It is fantastic. It's great. I answered all of your questions in real time. If you subscribe, you can do this. The app is available on Apple and Android, so download it today. Become a subscriber and come join the fun. We have all sorts of goodies awaiting you, and the goodies are getting better and better month by month. Go check us out. 99 bucks a year also gets you the greatest in all beverage vessels, the hot or cold leftist, tumbler, leftist tears tumbler. Check this out. Oh. Look at this beauty. It's magical. We deactivated the cloaking device since we're here for a while. So go check all of that out. And please subscribe. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Alrighty, so President Trump does have some systemic advantages going into 2020. Thomas Edsel, who always writes interesting stuff over at the New York Times, he has a piece today called Trump is Winning the Online War. He says the technical superiority and sophistication of the president's digital campaign is a hidden advantage of incumbency. Under the management of Brad Parscale, the Trump reelect machine has devoted millions more than any individual Democrat to increasingly sophisticated micro-targeting techniques. The accompanying chart compiled by the Wesleyan Media Project describes the partisan gulf in political spending through September 19th on Facebook and Google by leading presidential candidates. 
Trump's $16 million is more than the $15.5 million bucks spent by the top three Democratic candidates combined. By the way, the top spender in terms of online media, Tom Steyer, who spent $6.6 million. So that is money that he just flushed directly down the toilet. These figures substantially understate how far Democrats are behind. Trump's operatives have been working since 2016 to develop and test techniques to identify voters, determine message effectiveness, and develop tools of electronic communication. Daniel Kreiss is a professor at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill School of Journalism and Mass Communication. He said, the fact is that Trump is an incumbent without a significant primary challenger. That means that he and his team and the Republican National Committee have had three years to build tools, collect data, test models and messaging, and mobilize supporters. The political director of the AFL-CIO, Michael Podhorzer, is deeply worried that Democrats have fallen behind. Apparently, the Republican Party has developed some technology called mobile advertising IDs and, and the use of mobile advertising IDs that allow political campaigns to basically track the unique identifiers of voters' phones and then connect the information known about the voter to messaging that they would like to see. Right? All of this it means that, that Trump does have some endemic qualities here that are going to, that are going to help him going into 2020. The thing that's going to help him the most is the fact that the Democratic field is exceedingly weak. Now, Elizabeth Warren is the purported frontrunner in this race. Joe Biden went at her hammer and tongs yesterday after the debate. So the debate happens, and Biden knocks her, and Buttigieg knocks her, and Klobuchar knocks her, and all of them knock her for good reason. Joe Biden went after her hard yesterday. Here was Joe Biden going after both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, saying that they are trying to con people, which of course is true. I don't want to pick on Elizabeth Warren, but this is, this is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. The idea that someone is going to be able to go out and spend what's going to come out about $3.4 trillion a year. But Bernie, Bernie doesn't play for half his plan. The last thing the Democrats should be doing is playing Trump's game and trying to con the American people to think this is easy. There's nothing easy about it. Okay, well, that is a rational statement that Joe Biden is making. And normally you'd think, oh, that rational guy with the big name ID, why isn't he doing better? Well, probably because Joe Biden still can't answer the questions about Ukraine. And his son, Joe Biden, said yesterday that he never discussed Ukraine with his son. His son, Hunter, has said the opposite. He said that at least once they did have a conversation about his involvement in Ukraine. Here was Joe Biden talking about this. I never discussed with my son anything having to do with what was going on in Ukraine. That, that's, a, that's a fact. And if I'm not mistaken, and I did not coordinate any of this with my son. I didn't even know he was having these long discussions for some time with ABC. But he pointed out the reason why he regrets it is he didn't anticipate that, that thugs like Giuliani would use it to, in fact, try to embarrass his father. And that's what they are. They're flat thugs. And the reason why I am setting up the idea that I've laid out has nothing to do with Hunter. Okay, well, the, the idea that he has laid out, by the way, and that makes things awkward for him, is that relatives of presidential candidates and, and, and people who are in powers in office, in, in public office, that their relatives shouldn't benefit from foreign connections like this. Yeah, that, that's kind of awkward because uh, your son did. In any case, Biden is weak. Buttigieg went after Warren, too. Buttigieg is experiencing a little bit of a media boomlet again after the last debate performance because Buttigieg appeared to be more rational than Elizabeth Warren. Warren, again, yesterday, I talked about on the show, she kept throwing out all sorts of radical plans and then having no way of defending them. Buttigieg just dumped all over her yesterday on the national media. It was pretty amazing. 
Not only is it important to have yes or no answers to yes or no questions at a time when people are so frustrated with Washington speak, but also there's still been no explanation for a multi-trillion dollar hole in this plan. I have a lot of respect for Senator Warren, but last night she was more specific and forthcoming about the number of selfies she's taken than about how this plan is going to be funded. And that's a real problem, especially when there's a better way to deliver health care coverage to everybody. Okay, Buttigieg is getting a lot of plaudits again. The media are taking a second look at Buttigieg. Once you start seeing people doing, why not second look at X? You know the field is weak. I remember in 2012, there was, a, there was this thing that happened inside the Republican field where everybody sort of took a first look at candidates like Newt Gingrich and Rick Santorum, and they were like, eh. And then they came around to Romney, and then everyone was like, how about a second look at Newt Gingrich and Rick Santorum? <laughs> and, and by the time the primaries were over, it was pretty obvious that Mitt Romney was not world's strongest candidate. Well, Democrats are starting to have exactly those same sort of stomach-churning, Pepto-Bismol-needing feelings right now because the stomach acid has to be giving them some sort of ulcer looking at this field. It's really bad. The, the budding impression of Elizabeth Warren is that she's dishonest. And that is a huge problem for her because her core pitch is that she is more honest than President Trump. She's going to stand up for you. She's a populist who's going to stand up for the people. She's not some Ivy League professor who's sort of parachuting in last minute, stealing Bernie's agenda and pretending to care about the people while being worth $10 million. No, she is a true heart of the people lady. This is a woman who really understands the problems of down-home folks, right? That is Elizabeth Warren's pitch. There's only one problem. It now turns out that she lies about everything, like about everything. So she lies about her Medicare for All plan. At least Sanders is honest. And she has now gone back and deleted her tweet about Native American DNA. So it was a post made one year ago Tuesday. It had over 56,000 likes, and it read, My family, including Fox News watchers, sat together and talked about what they think of Donald Trump's attacks on our heritage. And yes, a famous geneticist analyzed my DNA and concluded that it contains Native American ancestry. Um, yeah. It turned out not so much. I, I love that. Attacks on our heritage. On our heritage. One year ago, she was still claiming she was Native American. After she had the results of a test that said she was 1, 1,024th Native American maximum. Maximum. Okay, that's, that's, that's amazing. So she's gone back and she's deleted that now. Why? Because she's a damn liar. Not only is she a liar on that, she also lies on, it turns out, like, kind of everything. It turns out that she's wildly dishonest. So here is an example. Yesterday, she was on CNN, and she started talking about how taxes, she, she refused to admit that taxes would go up. She said that Medicare for All would reduce costs for middle-class families, which is actually not true. And then she told the story of a guy who she says was refused insurance or was dumped from his insurance after he was diagnosed with MS. Here is the story she told, and then I'll tell you what the actual story is. I had a young man stand up at a town hall and explained that he'd been diagnosed with MS. And his insurance company refused to pay for one of his treatments. He'd started down the treatment line, and his explanation of it was that here he was, he had insurance, he fights with his insurance company. No, 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 no. Until he finally ends up in the public system. But understand this, he described it as, I have now a lesion in my brain. Okay, there's one problem with this. Tommy Christopher points out that we actually have tape of the guy talking. 
And his story is basically the opposite of the story that she was telling. His name was Dylan, and he said this, quote, You say that you support Medicare for All, which does have a transition through to get everyone covered on that. However, I am someone who really relies on my health insurance a lot more than most people. I live with an invisible illness, multiple sclerosis. I've been denied disability, basically, because in their words, they don't think I'm disabled enough. Because of this, I basically have to constantly fight to keep my health insurance. Over the summer, I was kicked off. Not my mistake, but I had to pay for it. In about three months of me trying to get my insurance back, I was delayed from my disease-modified therapy, which now resulted in a new centimeter-sized lesion that's going to follow me for life because someone tried to save a few bucks. So my question is, during the transition, it says over the first year, people with disabilities will be covered. Will it be easier than the current disability standards and basically make it easier? So that is a lot more complicated, as Tommy Christopher over at Mediaite points out, than insurance companies bad. That's not exactly what happened. He says it wasn't because he says he says that insurance companies frequently are. And while Dylan didn't go into detail about the reason for the lapse, it sounds like that could have been the case here. Maybe it was a paperwork snafu or a dispute over payment. He says it wasn't because of his condition. That's illegal, right? Obamacare makes it illegal to kick you off because of your condition. She says that he was kicked off because of his condition. No, his insurance lapsed because he was unemployed. That is, and by the way, Medicare is, as Tommy Christopher, I'm shocked Tommy Christopher wrote something this rational, he says that Medicare is just as devoted to saving money as insurance companies and denies claims at a higher rate than private insurers. It was the government that tried to save a few bucks by denying Dylan's disability in the first place. This, of course, is exactly right, but Elizabeth Warren fibs a lot. The good news is she has her defenders who will defend her no matter what. One journalism professor actually tweeted out that we need to stop asking her about her tax increases because journalisming, intense levels of journalism, Jay Rosen journalisming professor over at NYU. He says, the make Elizabeth Warren say she would raise taxes on the middle class question should be a credibility killer for the journalists who keep asking it. Why? Isn't that like a very, very obvious question that she refuses to answer? This field is, is weak. It is weak. And meanwhile, the most humorous development of the entire political day, Barack Obama has finally weighed in with an endorsement in Canada. In Canada. If you're Joe Biden, you're like, oh my God, Barack, oh, oh. Brock's like, Joe, I'm not going to endorse you. I told you not to run. Everybody knows you're old. Everybody knows you're bad at this. I told you over and over. I'm going to endorse another black man, Justin Trudeau. Oh, no, that's just Justin Trudeau in blackface. Sorry. In any case, he, he is now waded into the Canadian election. By the way, no foreign interference in elections unless Barack Obama is endorsing Benjamin Netanyahu's opponents in Israel or Justin Trudeau in Canada. Otherwise, no involvement. In, oh, he also endorsed, by the way, Emmanuel Macron in France. He's like, he goes around endorsing various political candidates in other countries, but he won't endorse Joe Biden. Joe Biden is the saddest man in politics today. That's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's well-deserved. He, he spent the last eight years basically massaging Barack Obama's shoulders and telling him how wonderful he was. And Barack Obama's like, I've got a big announcement today. Got a big endorsement in a big 2020 race. Justin Trudeau. There it is, Justin Fudo. Ouch. Okay, time for a quick thing I like and then a quick thing that I hate. So things that I like. So yesterday, amazing experience and eye-opening experience. My family and I traveled over to Hebron, Hebron in, in English. And this is the oldest biblical site present. It is, a, it is the site where Abraham bought land for the grave of his wife, Sarah, at Marat HaMachpelah, also known as the Cave of the Patriarchs, it really should be called the Caves of the Patriarchs and the Matriarchs, considering that buried at this site, uh, according, to, according to Jewish tradition, and now according to Muslim and Christian tradition as well, are Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob and Leah. 
uh, Rachel is buried on the road because she died on the road to to Hebron. In any case, here is a picture. Uh, I was here yesterday. It is a it is Hebron is a massive Palestinian city in terms of the population. It's about two hundred fifteen thousand Palestinians. About one hundred sixty thousand of those Palestinians live under what is called Area C rule, which would be the areas that are governed by the Palestinian Authority. Which means that if you are a Jew and you walk in those areas, you will be killed. I mean, there are giant red signs on the side of the road that say, if you're an Israeli citizen, do not walk into this city. Really, do not, like, literally, you will be killed. And I asked my security guys, who are former Israeli military, and they say, yeah, it's not like Israeli Arab villages, where if you wander in there, no big deal, right? It's just an Israeli Arab village. If you walk into Palestinian-governed areas and you're a Jew, you will be pulled out of your car, you will be murdered, probably. At least there's a very high shot of that. And there's been a lot of violence in this, a lot of terrorism directed against Jews in this particular area. Well... Hebron has been the site of repeated anti-Jewish pogroms over the years. Uh, in 1929, it famously was the site of a massive anti-Jewish pogrom that basically wiped out the Jewish population of, of Hebron. Now there are about 1,000 Jews who live there. They, lived, uh, they live under Israeli protection. The specific area in which they live is uh, about 30,000 Arab Palestinians who are living around them. Uh, there are a bunch of Israeli bases on the hills to protect the Jews from being sniped upon, because that's what was happening. The, the Arabs were sitting up on top of the hills and sniping at the Jews, and so the Israeli government had to come in and set up these bases. Look, the people in Hebron, if they could live in an open city and not in this tiny little ghetto in the middle of Hebron, you think they would? You think they wouldn't? You think they wouldn't, they wouldn't like to interact with their Arab neighbors? And in fact, some of their Arab neighbors, tribal leaders who are not under the governance of the Palestinian Authority, do interact with them and do events with them. But the fact is that the Israeli government, there's all sorts of myth-making about Hebron. They, they, the Israeli government, for literally a one-block stretch that we walked down yesterday, had to shut down some Arab shops specifically because of security concerns. It's one block. Okay, it's one block. Hebron is the richest city in the West Bank. Okay, it, is, it is the richest Arab city in the West Bank. It is the richest Palestinian city. It does about 5 billion shekel in export, nearly all of it to the state of Israel, who they supposedly hate and despise. And they have a massive shopping center with like a KFC. They have the entire shopping area that was moved from this one street in Hebron was moved like one block over. Okay, so the media covered this apartheid state, apartheid state. Really, the Jews would be willing to live just fine with the Arabs. It is the Jews being killed by the Arabs that is the problem, right? It is the fact that Every time there is no Israeli protection there, Jews end up getting slaughtered there. That happens to be the problem. Also, it is worth noting that this, this site, which is the second holiest site in Judaism, right? The holiest site is the Temple Mount. The second holiest site is the Cave of the Patriarchs, Marat HaMachpelah. When the Muslims were in charge of it from 1267 to about 1967, when the Jews freed it in the Six-Day War, when they liberated it in the Six-Day War, for 700 years, Jews were not allowed to enter the holy site. For 700 years. Even after that happened, even after the Jews took over Hebron, even after the Jews took over Marat HaMachpelah, they still allowed the Muslims to basically retain almost sole control of the larger part of Marat HaMachpelah, this nearly 4,000-year-old site. The, the site is split sort of 80-20 between the Arabs and the Jews. The Jews have like a small little synagogue, and the Arabs, they, 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 I mean, it's kind of amazing. The Muslims actually have control of the area of Marat HaMachpelah that houses Isaac and Rebekah, which makes absolutely no sense, because in the Quran, Isaac and Rebekah are not important. Right? In the Quran, Yishmael, Ishmael is important. Isaac and, and Rebekah are not important at all. But the Muslims get the bigger area there because it's the bigger area. The Jews are relegated to the smaller area with the graves of Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Leah. In any case, the, it, it's, it's an incredible experience. You see what the people who are living there are undergoing. Um, for, for those who don't understand the conflict, it's sort of necessary to go there and to understand also 
the thriving nature of the economy that is not in the immediate area. What you usually see is left-wing NGOs who walk down the street and say, why aren't there any Arabs here? Why aren't there any Arabs allowed in here? And it's like, well, because when, they, when the Arab shops were open right there, and by the way, there are Arabs who live like right there. They said when, when the Arabs had shops there, there were routine attacks on Jews. Here's a question. Why in the other parts of Hebron, the, among the other 215,000 Palestinians, are there no Jews who live there? Like none. Why is it that the entire Palestinian-ruled area is entirely Judenrein? Like Nazi-like Judenrein. Why? Why is it that 20% of the population of Israel is Arab and Muslim? And why is it that 0% of the population of the Palestinian Authority-run areas is Jewish? That is not because the Jews are not interested in living in places like Hebron. It's because the Jews will be murdered if they live there. Yeah, that's why they have giant red signs that say, if you go here and you're an Israeli citizen, there's a high likelihood you will die. <laughs> okay, it's, it's pretty incredible stuff. Uh, it is an incredibly holy site. There's a lot of joy from the thousands of people come in every year. Uh, around this time of year, there's 10 days in which the Muslims get full control of the Cave of the Patriarchs. There are 10 days in which the Jews get full control of the Cave of the Patriarchs. Yesterday was one of those days. They had a big concert outside. It was pretty amazing. Uh, every year around the biblical reading of Chayesara, which is the portion of the Bible in which Sarah dies and Abraham buys that specific plot where this is, again, 4,000 years ago, which is unbelievable, that, that about 50,000 Jews come and actually like they'll stay in their cars because there's no space. There's literally no space. It's like, three, it's like a three-square-block area. There's no space at all. They will literally come, and they will disconnect the battery in their car so they're not violating the Sabbath, and they will sleep in their car so that they can stay in the area for, for Chayesara. It's a pretty amazing experience, and until you have actually walked it and been there, and until and by the way, the Palestinian tour guides will not take you to the prosperous areas of Hebron. What they like to suggest is that the Jew, this 1,000 small area of Jews— that that is what's keeping the area poor. The area is not poor. Hebron, again, is a very wealthy city by Palestinian Arab standards. They won't take you to the actual wealthy areas of, of Hebron because that would give the lie to the whole thing. In any case, it's, it's necessary to see this to understand the nature of the conflict, to understand the historic nature of the conflict, and to understand that the historic center of the Jewish people, which predates Islam by approximately 3,000 years, is here, right? is in Hebron, and yet the Palestinians who basically run the UN World Heritage Organization. The World Heritage Commission declared this a historic site a Palestinian historic site. A Palestinian historic, not a Jewish historic site. And they've tried to do the same thing to the Temple Mount. Obviously, the, the Obama administration was helpful in, in that latter area. To misunderstand the history that badly takes a certain level of skill and or anti-Semitism or both. Alrighty, you know, we'll skip things I hate today because that is both a thing I like and a thing I hate, I think. And we will be back here a little bit later today for two additional hours of content. I'm Ben Shapiro. You're listening to The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Robert Sterling, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director Pavel Wydowski, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019.
If you want to delve the depths of leftist madness, head on over to The Michael Knowles Show, where we examine what's really going on beneath the surface of our politics and bask in the simple joys of being right. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 